Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, shall we, we shall also in the likeness Verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither ye yield ye your members, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. You may be seated. Nineteen years ago, um, at the end of March, March 31st, I successfully tricked my wife into a long-time, lifelong commitment. She promised to love me and care for me and live with me as long as, as I'm alive. That was March 31st, 2001. A few days later, I woke up in Hawaii on our honeymoon it was April 11th, and my wife was celebrating her 21st birthday, and her new husband had completely forgotten about it. Well, it goes without saying, I guess, that I'm a forgetful individual, but I've done pretty well with April 11th since then. We humans are forgetful. Humanity in our selfish state continues to repeat mistakes, the same ones, over and over again. We have history as a teacher, and yet we still repeat those mistakes because we forget. We forget the lessons learned from history. We forget the results of the mistakes that we have already made, and so we repeat them. Now, our Lord knew that we as humans are forgetful, and as he delivered the children of, of Israel out of Egypt, there were various times where God instructed the people to build a memorial or a monument or a reminder of the deliverance that he had provided for them. Now, these reminders were there for the purpose of pointing their hearts and the hearts of future generations to God, their 
deliverer. And so, for instance, when Israel crossed Jordan, they were commanded to build a memorial with the stones so that the future generations would remember who it was who delivered them out of Egypt. When Jesus was about to go to the cross and provide the atonement for my sin and for your sin, he gathered his closest disciples and he celebrated the Passover with them one last time. And he broke the bread and he passed the cup and he said that we're supposed to continue this practice after he was gone as a way of celebrating and remembering his death until he returns. He understood that even that remarkable sacrifice had potential to be forgotten. And so each time we share in communion, we file forward, we, we take the broken bread and the cup, and we do that in remembrance of what Christ has already done for us. There's no mystical or magical power in the bread and the cup. I know that um, I worked in the bakery that provided the bread for years. We're not ingesting holiness as we partake of those uh, things. We're following the teaching of Christ as a means of remembering and celebrating what Jesus provided for us. Baptism is a similar symbolic ceremony. The Bible teaches that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And the baptism that provides salvation is not the water. The water that we use today is not holy water. It's not special. It's from the tap here at church. But it's a picture of the spiritual baptism, of being immersed into Christ. And that baptism is the one that saves us. So this morning we'd like to talk about baptism. And it is possible to be baptized with water without having been first immersed into the family of Christ. Just like it was possible for the Jew outwardly to be circumcised and not have received circumcision of the heart that leads to salvation. So what is the point of baptism? Or maybe a better question is, what does baptism point to? I believe that baptism points to Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the command is for us to follow his example. Now, before Christ gave himself in death on the cross, before he died physically, he needed to die to his own will and desires. And in Mark chapter 14, verse 34, And he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And this is the death that we are baptized into. If we want to be heirs together with Christ, we need to be baptized into his death. We must give up our selfish, carnal will. This self-denial is a decision that later produces action. And we want to think about uh, denying self here a little bit this morning. One of the reasons, I believe, for weakness and unfaithfulness in my life or in our lives is that we go to the cross without 
spending time in the garden. For Jesus, the decision to surrender to the will of the Father did not, he did not make that decision at Calvary when he was crucified. He did not make that decision in Pilate's hall when he was on trial. But rather, those decisions were made in the Garden of Gethsemane. When in great agony of spirit, he made a decision to lay down his life, his will, to that of his father's. So Jesus never wavered when he was in Pilate's hall, and he never wavered on his way to Calvary because the decision was already made back in the garden. Not my will, but what thou wilt. Now, if our perfect Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in great agony of spirit, needed to give up his will to that of the Father, you had better believe that it will be no less difficult for us. And often this self-denial is tested in our relationships with other people. After all, that is what denying self is, valuing others above ourselves. There is something within me that wants to be a part of Christ. It wants what Christ has to offer me, but the people and the problems that come with that are too overwhelming. But Jesus calls us to be followers of him, and he calls us to live in community with other believers. There is only one church of God, and we here at Weavertown are a small part of that church. Not all the members here have the same office. We have different functions, and that together as we work in unity, we can bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Apart from the body, we tend to be selfish and self-centered and incomplete. And as individuals in a local fellowship, we should use our gifts and abilities for the benefit of the church, the local church. And as a local church, we should use our collective gifts for the benefit of the global church. Sometimes we're very quick to tell people that, yes, sure, I would die for Christ. Just as long as it doesn't require giving up anything that is valued highly in my life or that I really badly want or hold dear. I am a shallow follower of Christ when I say I would die for him as long as I don't need to deny myself. It makes no sense and it's not possible, and yet I live this way too often. Growth is difficult without a complete body, and the local church is an important part of growth and development as a follower of Christ. Now, Jesus' sacrificial atoning death is by far the greatest act of mercy and grace the world will ever see. But this great action was preceded by a great decision. That decision was for the Creator God, incarnate in the body of Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a man to give up what he wanted, what his flesh wanted, which was life. And he traded what his flesh wanted to give himself over to death so that I can receive life. Jesus made that great decision in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he gave up what his carnal nature wanted. And that decision led to the great action of redemption for me and for you. So we are to follow this pattern. We are commanded to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And what that means 
first of all, is that we have a decision to make. We need to decide to be dead to our carnal nature. Not allowing it to have a grip on our lives, we die to self. And as we make that decision, we are immersed into the Holy Spirit and baptized by the Spirit into the family of God. We are now dead to sin. And the decision to trust Christ allows us to experience abundant, eternal life that only comes through deciding to follow Christ above ourselves. Baptism, the very root word, is derived from the art of dyeing cloth. Now, in modern times, putting color to cloth is very common and inexpensive. And I might just add that, just in case you are in the market for some very nice, high-quality, affordable fabric, um, Log Cabin Quilt Shop just down the road is, has a very nice selection. And I've also heard that the owners there are fabulous people. But in ancient times, the way to dye cloth was a little more cumbersome. The process was to take a white cloth and immerse it into a dye. And these dyes long ago came from a variety of plants or shellfish or insects. And sometimes the process was very complicated and cumbersome and took many immersions until the color and quality was, was correct. But the picture is there if you use your imagination. You take the cloth, it goes into the dye white, fully submersed, and you take it out of the dye and it is forever changed. And that is what baptism is. We take our lives, our will, we give it up, we immerse ourselves into Jesus Christ, and he raises us uh, as a new creature with eternal life. Now, as we become immersed into Jesus, we should come out a changed individual, dead to sin and alive to Christ. The problem is that I live my life far too often as an Old Testament saint. You could use Samson for an example. He lived for himself for the most part. He wanted what he got. He was selfish. He was led around by his carnal desires and selfish ambition. Occasionally, though, the Holy Spirit would fall on him and he would do miraculous things for God's people. And later, under the power of his selfish carnal nature once more, he would fall back into debauchery and selfishness. Now, I think we have possibly misunderstood some scriptures, at least I have. In Joel 2.28, it says, and it, came to, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And we read that, and it feels good to us to say, hey, I can get a special anointing of the Holy Spirit. I can see dreams. I can have visions. I can prophesy. Now, if you look at the word poor in that verse, what it really means is that Jesus Christ poured himself out on the cross. He shed his blood. He expended his life to give us life. It is The word pouring is referring to Christ pouring out his blood, giving his life. And that looks a lot different than a little sprinkling of the Holy Spirit. 
Isaiah 44, 3 says, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and the floods upon dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. The same idea is here. Christ is the living water poured out into humanity and giving himself by shedding or pouring out his blood. Acts 2.17 quotes the passage in Joel that we already read. But the word for poor in Acts 2.17 is translated shed in Matthew 26.28, which says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So the pouring out in Joel and Isaiah is referring to the coming of Jesus, who poured out his blood for all people, not a special anointing for some, but it was for all mankind. So we don't want to live our lives with the, with the Spirit occasionally falling on us. Too often we try to put just enough Jesus into our life to save us but not change us. We prefer to alter our lives rather than give our life to Christ as a living sacrifice. We jam Jesus into the corners of our lives rather than immersing ourselves into him and allowing the dye of Christ's perfect blood to cleanse us and change us forever from the inside out. Now, what, just like the children of Israel, what they visualized spoke to them and taught them. What we visualize teaches us. When we observe baptism, we are learning. And I like how we baptize. We pour a little water on the heads of people. It's practical. We're practical people. It's quick. We like to be efficient. And it barely even messes up our hair, you know, if, if you have some. But I worry that what I've observed for decades has impacted and affected how I view my death and burial and resurrection to new life in Christ. So I'm all in as a follower of Christ as long as it's simple or practical or efficient. As long as it's quick and easy without much change or sacrifice, I'm in. I begin to live my life based on the principle of simplicity and efficiency rather than uh, what Christ wants for us. There's nothing simple or practical or efficient about denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Christ. It will cost you everything. It must cost you everything. There is no resurrection if you are not dead. Jesus came to give us life. He came to give us new life. But until and unless we die to ourselves, we cannot be raised. So far too often we live like this. We fulfill desires of our, of ourself, our carnal nature, and occasionally being led by the Spirit as though he was just sprinkled on us ever so lightly, we adjust our lives. Now, to be fair, Paul describes the battle that we will always be faced with as followers of Christ. In Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not 
what I want, but what I do the very thing I ha- but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not the good I want, but the evil I do I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if it is I, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And then he goes on to say, I find, I find it to be a law that when I do what, it, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So there's always our carnal will that pulls us from the spiritual. And this is a battle that we must engage in every day. And we must continually deny ourselves in order to follow Christ. Now, some will turn self-denial into a works gospel where if we deny enough of things or luxuries or uh, food or whatever, we become closer to Christ. But denying ourselves means that we die. Our natural carnal, carnal will we lay down at the cross. We're not just denying certain things, but we're giving ourselves completely. Paul goes on to say about this battle between the carnal and the spiritual. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way we can win the war and the battle with self is to be immersed into Jesus Christ. And the only way we can be immersed into Jesus Christ is if we're willing to lay down our life. We cannot serve two masters. There's something very beautiful that happens when a person recognizes the gift of God through Jesus Christ. Paul says in chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he, com- he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that righteousness, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And he goes on to talk about how we are adopted into the family of God. We are heirs together with Christ. Verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all, thing works, 
All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say then? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no force of evil strong enough to conquer us when we willingly surrender to follow our Savior to the cross. Now in Matthew 9, Jesus says that unless we take up the cross and follow him, we cannot be his disciples. And let me just say this again, as much for my sake as for yours, that when Jesus says we are to take up our cross... It's obvious where we are headed. We need to end up at the same place he did, on the cross. We need to get on the cross. Too many times I just carry my cross around, but I refuse to get on the cross. To place our carnal self, our carnal self needs to be placed on the cross with Christ and die. Until we do that, we are living as Old Testament followers. But Jesus, under the New Covenant, provides power for us through the Holy Spirit if we are willing to be immersed into Jesus and completely changed and transformed. The decision of denying self leads to the action of following Christ to the cross, willingly placing our carnal nature on the cross and dying in order to receive new life provided by Christ. When we die to self, we are of no good use for the devil, but completely ready to be raised to new life by the power of Christ. Now, I'm rejoicing with the, the ones who are being baptized here today. You have made a choice. You have chosen to follow Christ, to deny what you want in your carnal self, and follow Christ. And I, my prayer is that you would receive that abundant, eternal, vibrant life that Christ has to offer. But there are individuals who make a choice to live for self. And the Bible clearly teaches that they are hostile toward God. I think it's very important for us to realize that death is inevitable. You will die. 
or if Christ returns, you will enter eternity. One way or another, you will die or be ushered into eternity. Historically speaking, everyone, even those who have been raised from the dead, have either died or been taken directly to eternity. So the way I see it, and I think we would all agree, is that we are not going to be here forever. We are going to be going. And so there's two options. It's true that we will all die or be ushered into eternity. So why not give up your carnality now to receive eternal, abundant life forever? Why would you not choose that? Why would you try to keep your life now only to lose it for all of eternity? If we try to hold our lives, we lose either way. We cannot win until we give up our selfish will and we place it on the cross. If we try to keep our life in this life, we will die for all of eternity. We need more followers of Christ who are willing to enter the Garden of Gethsemane with our Lord and make the decision to submit and follow the Father, to deny ourselves and follow Christ to Calvary. We need to be buried with him so that he can raise us to new abundant life through Christ. That's my prayer for each of you who are being baptized today. God has a plan for your life, and it's not hidden from us. His plan for your life is that you would deny yourself, that you would allow him to work in you a new life, a new spiritual life, through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You will one day stand before God, the creator of the universe. All of us will. The one who sent his son to this sinful earth to pay the penalty for our sins. And there's two options. You can stand before him in your own righteousness, your own attempted righteousness, with your carnal self still intact. You can keep your life for this life, and you will stand before God, a holy God, in all your sinful filth. And there will be nothing to separate you from the wrath that God will unleash on sin and evil. Or you can die now to self, put the old man on the cross, and be renewed day by day by immersing yourself into Jesus and accepting his blood as the atonement for your life. And when you get to judgment before God, his son, Jesus Christ, will be your attorney. He is even right now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. There's no doubt in my mind that anyone who has Jesus Christ for their attorney can rest assured that your sins are atoned for, your case is dismissed. You will be free for all of eternity. But it is foolishness to attempt to keep our lives 
only to lose them for all of eternity. The thing that I want us to understand this morning is that as we identify with Christ in his death, baptism is a public announcement saying, I want to lay down my life and my selfish, carnal will, and I want to live in submission and honor to Jesus Christ. I want to be immersed into the Holy Spirit rather than just have the Holy Spirit sprinkled on me a little bit. I want to be immersed into Christ. So I would encourage you, getting baptized here today, spend time in the garden on your knees with the Lord, allowing him to teach you what it means to deny yourself and to take up your cross and follow him. We will often fail at this. I read that to dye certain fabrics, they would need to be immersed about 40 times to get the proper quality and color. But in our lives, we need continual washing. We need the word of God to be applied to our lives daily. We need to immerse ourselves in, into Christ each and every day. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Making the choice to deny ourselves produces the action of getting on the cross and dying to self so that we can be raised by the miraculous power of Christ to new life. Baptism is a powerful picture of that. Communion is a picture that reminds us of Christ's broken body, his death, his burial, and his atonement for sin. And baptism is a picture of me identifying with Christ. I too want to get on the cross and and allow self to be crucified in order to be resurrected to new life in Christ. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.